Well, good morning to you and thanks um, Jorinda for leading us so lovely so far this morning. Um, my name's Louise and I'm part of the leadership here at Portswood together with Andrew, Alice and Peter and it is my joy to be looking at chapter 7 of Hebrews with us this morning. The title I want to be looking at is Jesus is who you need. Now, I was in church last week and I was chatting to some folks who were telling me about how they were trying to buy a house but um, and it looked really good, really shiny, but when the survey came back, there were some serious problems in this house. The builder had obviously gone for some very quick fix solutions, but actually he hadn't really done the long-term work that really needed doing. It can be quite tempting for us, can't it, to go for quick fix solutions and sometimes they are right if we don't have for example, um, the time to do something or the money or even the willpower at that moment, then a temporary fix will work, but we know that ultimately we need something permanent. If we go to the dentist in an emergency, for example, we get temporary filling. We never expect to keep that long term. We want to get something permanent. Same with if our car breaks down and the tire's flat. We might have one of those clever things that fix it and pump it up and seal it, but ultimately, that's not what we're going to be driving on. We're going to need to replace it. Now, in the same way, if we don't feel quite right in ourselves, we can also go for quick fix solutions. Uh, for example, if we're just feeling a little bit off, we might think, oh, maybe a night out would help, or seeing others, or a holiday, or maybe buying something, or maybe I just need to take up a new hobby, or maybe watch some TV, or play some Xbox. And at the time, it might enable us to get through that tough time. And we all know that at really tough times, we often do go to some of these things to get us by. But we also know that they're a temporary fix. They're not really what's actually needed. What we need is something much more permanent. Um, and often in those situations, although those things can be helpful, they're just covering over stuff. In the spiritual realms, our hearts, our soul, the inner being of who we are also needs not a temporary fix, but something really permanent. In fact, not a something, but a someone. Sometimes in life, we might find ourselves fortunate enough to experience some exceptional moments of peace, joy, and contentment. And these are really meant to, I think, awaken us to a need in us for something, someone more. In today's passage, we're going to see how the Jewish people who had entered an agreement with God which was only ever meant to be temporary, got maybe a little bit too attached to it. This agreement was a kind of quick fix, but ultimately it was never what their souls needed. It was only ever a model or an example of what God was going to do. It was a signpost towards what was really needed something better as we've seen already this morning something permanent so let's get started and the writer is going to talk in this passage about a better and permanent pre priest priesthood so let's look briefly at three points he makes this morning the three points he wants to tell us about this better and permanent priesthood firstly 
he wants to say that this was always God's plan. God always has a plan. Secondly, he wants to say that this priesthood, this priest, Jesus, is more powerful. And thirdly, he wants to say this priest, singular, will never, ever fail you. So we're going to start first with this was always God's plan. Sometimes you hear people say, it was always our plan to, or it's always been the plan. I wonder if you've got a plan, a long-term plan. Some people are really good at that, aren't they? I'm not so good at it. But along the way, you kind of make do and mend, don't you? For example, you might find some very wealthy people say, it was always our plan to move to the country, but like they've lived in the city to make money in order to do it. Or you might hear an author say, it was always my plan to write a book, but until then they've been working in retail or in the entertainment industry because they needed to get by. It was always the plan. In Hebrews, we see the writer saying, it was always the plan, always God's plan. A thousand years earlier, you'll remember, or you may not know, that these people, the Hebrews, the Jews, who were reading this letter, their ancestors entered into an agreement with God, called as a covenant, a covenantal agreement, like a legally binding agreement. And the agreement said, you do this and I'll do this. The people swore on their whole hearts that they would keep their side of the deal. They would obey what God asked them to do. They would follow his ways. And they fully expected that they would be able to. But we see that in the system, it already allowed for mistakes. It already allowed for people not following God, both willfully and unwillfully unwillful that's a great word it already included a way for them to say sorry to be forgiven to be restored back into that relationship with God Yahweh and others but it could never do what was really needed remember what we thought about in the beginning about how it's just temporary fixes when you have cancer and not that I have but the dreadful and awful moment. You know that you don't need some medicine that's just gonna be a temporary fix. You need something that's gonna completely eradicate it from your body. And spiritually, we need something really similar that will eradicate it, what's gone wrong, that will lead us to God, not away from God. What is needed in our souls is a healing, that really we can get any other way than through God and through Jesus. Now, the law that came in in that agreement outlined the ways that people should behave. This is how God intended them to behave. This is the way he wired them originally, uh, to be good and kind and trustworthy and authentic and faithful but they could never really do it. They needed something bigger to truly restore them, to keep them in that relationship of trust with God. And because of this, they were left in a sort of yo-yo situation where they went back and forth. Someone continually got something wrong, 
they needed to repent and come back to God. Got something wrong, repent and come back to God. It was only like a temporary solution, but they constantly went through the motions of this again and again, knowing that ultimately it wasn't really ever going to get to the heart of the matter. They needed something permanent. And so the writer says this by saying, I know God gave these laws, but it was only temporary. He had a bigger plan. And you can see that in verse 11. He says, if what we need was possible through these laws and rituals, we do. Why was there always another priest to come, a different one, not in these traditions? Why, he says, did David, a thousand years previous, write in a prophetic poem, look forward to a day when a priest would come in the order of a man named Melchizedek? Try saying that fast three times. Look at verse 17. Why, why? Was there someone else to come? You've probably heard of the Apple CEO, Steve Jobs, but you may not have heard of Mike Makula. He was the guy that sort of took a liking to Steve and acted as a mentor and promoted him. And today, by some, he's cited really as the reason for Apple's success. The writers of the Hebrews has been leading us gently to this guy called Melchizedek for several chapters now. You'd be forgiven for not knowing about him. He's really obscure. He's probably someone you'd miss. He seems like a minor character next to Abraham. But the writer of Hebrews here shows how this character was important in their history. And he was a key model or type of Christ or type of priest to come. Verse 3, he uses the word resembling. And over the next couple of chapters, he'll kind of repeat this idea using the word copy or shadow of something to come. He says, this priest here, Melchizedek, might seem really unimportant, less than the one you know and love. But actually, he was better. And how do I know that? Because even Abraham, the one who became the father of us all, including the priests, was blessed by him and honoured him, giving him a tenth of his goods. In doing this, Abraham holds him higher and more important. And so we should too. The question that led to this sort of straddling of the believers in that he's writing to in the book of the Hebrews. They're sort of straddling Christianity and Judaism and they're not quite sure what to do. The current system that they've grown up in, of course, is a priesthood descended from Levi. If you want to be a priest, you have to be descended from Levi. If you want to be a king, you come from Judah. And he says, I know that you know that Jesus was in the line of Judah and that for that you accept him as king, Messiah. But he's more, he's also priest. So how can this be? And he says, well, he can be that because he's not of the line of Levi. 
he's in the order of Melchizedek. This guy here, who was both a priest and a king. You know, he says the former regulations, the stuff that you've been doing has been set aside because it was weak and useless. And you can almost imagine them going, what? Are you mad, weak and useless? We've been using this for years. And then he comes on to point two, the priesthood was more powerful. You know, the permanent solution to a problem is always more powerful. For example, um, we've got bindweed in our garden um, and I can pull them out as much as I like, but they'll always come back until I remove the roots. In Hebrews chapter four, um, chapter 10, verse four, the writer writes, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. This is where the writer is going. This system that used animal blood to make things right with God, it never worked. It was really pointing you to something else. And verse 27 of chapter 7, it says, This priest, he sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. The animals were never enough. How can an animal atone for a human being? But Jesus can. He's able to do what the old law, priesthood, sacrifices were unable to do because none of that was perfect. But Jesus is. It's a bit like if you want to fix your computer, if you put in an antiviral program that is corrupted in itself, you might solve one problem, but you also now have another problem. And this is what we often do when we try to quick fix ourselves, when we exchange one problem for another. It's a bit like a drug addict replacing heroin for a script. It's better, but it's not the best. The best is completely free. And as Christians, we've learned coping mechanisms in life. Don't get me wrong, there are great steps to freedom, but we're not really free unless Jesus sets us free. They just get us through the day. And we've all got our own addictions. Listen to what Jesus says about our addiction to sin. He says, Very truly I tell you, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Look back in verse 26 of chapter 7. Such a high priest truly meets our needs, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He's saying he's different from us. He's not corrupted in any way. He's never done anything wrong. He's the picture of the original design. And unlike all the priests before him and all the sacrifices that have been made, he and he alone has actually fixed it once and for all. He's done the job perfectly. And he's brought us into a right relationship with God. It's him that we need to be close to. That intimacy with love himself. And it's there that we start to be free. And this system will never end. There's nothing temporary about it. It doesn't depend on us. It's not about what we do, but it's about who he is and what he's done. And he lives forever. He will never fail, never cease to exist. 
There will never be a day that is over. It's back to us to clean up our mess. Verse 23 says, Now here, now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he is a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. It says here, he's able to save completely. And I want you to think about that complete word. It means holy for all time, absolutely, to the end, to the utmost, perfectly. There is nothing left for you or I to do to restore this relationship. When Jesus hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. And when we're finished trying to meet our needs, our deepest needs with temporary things, we turn to Jesus who really meets our true needs. He is the one that brings wholeness and completeness. And I'm sure by now you're thinking, but yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't feel very perfect. And sometimes I don't really feel like my needs, they're sort of, I don't feel very whole. I don't, I still feel broken. And I look at the world and I, I don't necessarily see Jesus reigning. Well, that is exactly where the Hebrews were. <laughs> they didn't see it. They saw persecution and alienation from the community. They saw injustice. They still lived with sin and heartache and pain and loss, just like us. And they were really tempted because of that to return to their old way of doing life. You know, like ours, when things are tough, we often go to the wrong places to receive comfort. When we uh, feel frustrated, we can get really angry and hurt with others. We can hurt them. We can seek to deal with our negative worries by just trying to block it out, fill our minds with TV or computer games. We can try and lift our mood when we're feeling down by food or sex or alcohol. When we run, we can run to unhelpful relationships again and again to feel emptiness. But we run back and back and back and we'll never ever get what we truly need what we truly need is Jesus we were created for a relationship with him and so when we run to other places we run away from what we need and it can be hard can't it at the moment we're not in the promised land as the Jews would say We're not there yet. God hasn't restored all things. Jesus will return. He will restore it all. But in the meantime, the writer here says throughout the Hebrews, don't drift, fix your eyes on him. Be careful, make every effort, hold firmly to the faith. And how? Back in chapter four again, verse 16, approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We are living in the now and the not yet. It's a tension, isn't it? The worlds, the old and the new go alongside each other. The kingdom of God is near and yet we are still here. Oh, that rhymes. (laughs) 
you know but Jesus is able it says to save us and not just save future tense but this is a present tense word it's the saving he's not only saved us on the cross will save us in the kingdom when he comes again but he is saving us right now we're in the process of being restored and that is not easy life is hard but we have a high priest who will never leave his post he loves us He's done everything possible to remove barriers between us and the Father. Through him, we have access to God. Because Jesus lives forever, he permanently intercedes on our behalf. He's a permanent priest there, rooting for us, representing us, pleading for us, praying for us. He is there. Verse 25, let's read it. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. So today, we say the same message we've said every week, don't give up. Today is always the day we can come back to the throne of grace and mercy. Today is the day we can go to our Father for help. Today is the day we can know Jesus Today is the day we know that he hasn't written off. There is always hope. There will never be a time when he said, he's had enough of you. Your failures are too great. In fact, the more you fail, the more grace he has. Romans chapter 5 verse 20 says, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. It's a bit like when you have a child and you you're expecting the second one and you think how can I possibly love the second one anymore I love this one so much and then the second one comes and you feel this overwhelming love love just grows and grows and grows and that's a bit like God's love for us no matter what we do wherever we go his love for us remains and he's longing for us to come for him to him that we might receive grace This week, when we're faced with choices, we need to remember that he is who we need. We need to remember that in the everyday, when we think at the beginning of the day, how will I do today? Today is so hard. Jesus is who we need. When we've totally lost the plot and we think, what can I do to come back from this? Jesus is who we need. When we're struggling in a meeting at work and we think, how on earth can I bring this round? Jesus is who we need. Paul wrote to the Philippian church. He really prayed that they grasp the love of God for them. That was his prayer, that they would grasp how much God loved them. And he wrote in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And perhaps you need to hear that today. Maybe that verse is for you. If you haven't started this relationship yet with Jesus, and I say started because it is a journey, it isn't always easy. But Jesus is who you need. You know, sometimes you post on social media, don't you? 
something like, I need someone to fix a tap, and anyone recommend a plumber? And people come back with people and they say, oh, you know, so-and-so's who you need. Well, if you need someone to make you whole again, Jesus is who you need. He is waiting, arms wide. Nothing is stopping you. Will you open yourself to a relationship with him today? And if you want to do that this morning, you don't need to do anything fancy. You just need to be honest. Just talk to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I need you. Tell him what you're sorry for. Tell him what's grieving you. Tell him what's upsetting you. Confess your part in it all. Thank him for his death on the cross for you. Thank you that he he is your priest forever and your king. And ask him to come and help you. And he does that through his Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit of God who comes and lives in us and helps us with that process of being made whole. And so you can simply say, Jesus, send your Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit to me today. Bless you. That's it from me. Amen.